All right, let's jump in. I grew up in a Christian home, just to set the tone. Uh, religion was a deeply ingrained part of my life as a kid, all the way. I mean, I joke about this. I was, I was, my parents probably took me to church the week after I was born. And uh, I was taught as a kid that, you know, I was supposed to, that Jesus was my Savior. He died for my sins. And uh, I was supposed to believe and trust in the work of the cross, things that I still believe in, by the way. Uh, I vividly recall being led in the sinner's prayer, which I was told was as easy as ABC. Uh, admit I'm a sinner, believe Jesus died for my sins, and confess that I need him, and he comes and lives in my heart. Um, and so I was a Christian, and doing so for me, all the way as long as I can remember, what I just described was having faith. Um, I have faith because I believe these things about Jesus, I accept what he's done for me, and that's, I'm a person of faith. And while I want you to know that if you're like, is he going to attack all that? Not all of it. Um, having this belief in Jesus's value was important for me. It, and I, I don't regret my childhood at all. But I do remember very vividly a drawback about this belief system. That's what I'll call it a belief system. Because I, as a kid, had it in my brain that, well, I now have the right answer. I've got it. I've done it. And because I've got the right answer, what I can do now is whatever I want because the important part's done. I believe in Jesus. I've, I've checked off that box. And now I can go on with my life. And so what I found is by high school, I never stopped believing. I never came to a point where my brain said, this isn't true. But my brain always said it was true, but my life just said, well, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. And so nothing about who I was impacted my daily life. And I didn't do anything that looked what you and I might call Christian. And I remember the first time this hit me hard. I was, uh, I was dating uh, someone, and we had been together for a couple of years, and I was just crazy about her. It wasn't my wife, I'm sorry. Uh, and I had this thing, this like gut reaction inside of me that said, wait a minute, um, she doesn't believe what I believe. She was Catholic, oh, or a different religion or something. And I was like, I have to make sure she believes what I believe so she doesn't go to hell because I don't want to go to hell. Uh, I'm not going to hell because I believe the right things. And so I was like, I'm going to share my faith. Literally, I'm going to share my faith, which meant I'm going to tell her all the things that she needs to believe in order to not go to hell when she dies. And it did not go well. <laughs> um, I, I just had this like ingrained memory of her just staring at me, being like, you mother <laughs> She was so angry at me. And she was like, you're telling me that you believe all that stuff? There's nothing about your life that shows that. And I remember she said this to me. She said, she said, if your God only cares about what you believe, he's a bigger hypocrite than you are. And I just remember being like, I have no response to that. And we never talked about religion again until I came to a point in my life where I was like, this cannot be right. And I was so convicted by it. And I, I ended up going to God and saying, God, something's wrong here. I want more than this. And so I, I, I started this journey of saying, I want to do more than just believe in God. And I eventually did. I, I made a decision to follow him more. And, and I got into ministry. And when I got into ministry, I realized very quickly, especially in student ministry, that I was not alone. That so many of these young people I was working with were born in this church and were told, like, this is Christianity. You believe these things. You have faith. And then, you know, they'd come to youth group like, yep, I believe, and then go on and do whatever they want to do. It's, it's endemic. It's everywhere. It's like seeped into the church. That so many people say, 
with their mouth, I believe this, I'm a person of faith, but there's nothing about their life that reflects it. Because there doesn't have to be. What God is asking for is that I believe the right things, that's faith, and that's enough. Anything else is kind of extra. And it's not even that faith doesn't ask for more. It's for a lot of us, we, uh, we might have grown up in a tradition, especially if you're part of more like a Reformed tradition, where faith doesn't just ask for more, faith is opposed to more, because faith is apart from works. It's other than, it's not effort. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So any hint or suggestion that faith might have something to do with your lifestyle is almost heresy for some people. But again, I had to ask myself, how is it that the same God who came and said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say, could be the same God that said, just believe some stuff and we're good. There was a disconnect for me. <laughs> and this, like, it, struck, it messed with me a lot. And so I started, when I, when I started actually studying and went to seminary, this was a topic that I really, I was interested, I'd ask my professors, I'm confused about this, talk to me about this. How could the Bible speak so much about God wanting me to do things and then really say, but I'm not supposed to do anything because I'm saved by what he did and not what I do? And I, it just, it, it kind of racked me a little bit. And I found this confusion, again, so often around the idea of faith. I remember being in seminary, I was a seminary student, I was studying theology, and I was probably 30, 31, somewhere in there. And talking about this with the professor, we were having this conversation, and I was just like, I just feel like I'm confused because I'm a pastor. I was working at a church. I had been for like eight years. And I came to this conclusion. I had no idea what the word faith actually meant. Like I had these, I had all these, like, well, I, I believe stuff, conviction of stuff. Well, I, I kind of, I mean, you're supposed to. I couldn't just define it. And that, that, that nagged at me. So I remember like, what, what is, and I, I, I asked the professor, like, what does faith mean? And he quoted uh, this famous verse in Hebrews. Well, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, and, you know, the, the assurance of that which we don't see. And I was like, that's not, that's confusing. What are you talking about? So it's just conviction. It's just like, but wait a minute. If God is only interested in me having faith, that's what saves me. That's what he wants from me. And it's absolute conviction Am I disappointing him if I'm not absolutely convinced? And how do I make myself convinced? Do I even have the ability to make myself convinced? Like I just punch myself in the face until I absolutely believe? What God cares most is that I'm absolutely convinced. How about he just shows up in person and talks to me face to face, and then I'll be convinced, and then he'll be happy, and I'll be happy, and I'll be good, right? Is God really just asking for my conviction, my belief? What's going on here? And honestly, and this is, I wrestled this too. I remember I was having a conversation with a pastor once. He's like, Pete, faith it were, you know, is not a work. It's not something you do. It's some, and I said, wait, is it, is it a belief? He's like, well, more, it's more of a belief. I'm like, isn't belief something I do? So isn't God still wanting something I do? Like in my brain, it's still something I do. How is it not something I do? Like, uh, I'm just floating in space, having faith. What is going on? And so it drove me to this study. It made me want to study more. I went through seminary and and at the end of seminary, I wrote a paper on it that just stirred all these questions for me. And I decided I wanted to do a doctorate. And when I did, I was going to focus on this word because I was just so interested. I want to know what it is. So four years later, uh, I've, I've been just reading piles and piles of books. And 
looking at historical documents outside of the Bible and all these different things, trying to understand this word better. And so today I just want to share with you what I found. And you may find it like, who cares? This doesn't affect me at all. But I, I think if you're, I know for myself, this has impacted me deeply. And so it's my hope that there's something that will land with you as well. Before I dive in, I want to offer a couple things about how I approach this. And this is important for me to say. First is this, I take the Bible very seriously. Um, I believe it's God's truth. It's his word for us. It's what he wants us to live by. And so um, if you can show me clearly in the scriptures that something is true in the Bible, I believe it, I accept it. But accepting the Bible is true is not the same thing as understanding it. And what I have found so often, not just with faith but other things, is people want to argue like, oh, you need to just believe the Bible. It says it right here. And I'm like, I see that it says it right there, but I don't think you understand what that's saying. And so I don't just want to, I already accept the Bible is true. I'm trying to understand it better. And the second thing is this, to understand it better is to acknowledge a basic fact, which is hard for us, but we have to acknowledge it, that language is fluid and always changing. And the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, the latest of it, the earliest of it, close to 3,000 years ago, in two to three different languages, there's some Aramaic in it, Greek and Hebrew, in a culture nothing like our world today. So the words that they used back then, we have to, we have like, what did they mean? Not just, and it's sometimes with language, you know, you can go back and you can say, well, I know, we know from history that it, it means this. But the problem is, words have different meanings in culture. Let me give you an example from our culture. If I were to say to you, uh, that car is hot. We all know what the word, every person in this room knows what the word hot means. But here's what's crazy. This phrase does not tell you what I mean. Because in English, I could be saying, that is a really good-looking car. It's hot. I could be saying, the engine is overheating. You need coolant. I could also be saying, somebody stole it. The same word has three different meanings depending on how you use it. So simply knowing the word hot means warm might not actually tell you what I'm saying. It might actually lead you completely astray, and you might completely miss, dude, don't buy that, it's hot. I can put coolant in it, <laughs> like police sirens, like you missed my point. The word faith is similar. The word faith actually has a wide range of meanings. And I'm not going to say every situation faith means this, because it doesn't. What I want to say is how do we look at the culture and the context to know how exactly it's being used in that situation? So it's going to be a lot of language stuff, if that's okay. And so my research has gone around asking to find the meaning of faith not just it's sort of basic, well, this is what it means. Well, it means a couple different things. But to look into the Bible, look into the culture and say, when you look at the way it was used in different situations, you can actually see how I think he's using it, Paul or the New Testament author, in the Bible. So this is going to be, there'll be some Bible study. We're gonna, we're, you're going to see a lot of scripture come from the screen. Um, but it's not a Bible study that we're doing today. It's more of a culture study. Uh, it's more of a look at the world of their day. You're going to hear a common phrase from me, and I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. Um, I'm going to mention uh, what I would call the Greco-Roman period a lot. I just want to briefly fly over this. The Greco-Roman period is, is a period of history that started around the sixth, 8th to 6th century uh, BC, BCE, when Alexander the Great in his Greek empire conquered almost the whole known world at the time, Asia Minor, Southern Europe, North Africa, um, every, the world of what we call the Bible, Right here, Alexander the Greek conquered it, 
Um, and then his generals divided it up when he died. And then about 200 years before Jesus, the Roman Empire took power. And the Roman Empire ruled this area all the way till about the 5th or 6th century uh, AD or CE. So we call this the Greco-Roman period because Greece and Rome were very interlocked. Like there was no clear, they had very similar cultures. So for about, about 800 years, this part of the world, everybody that lived here shared a similar culture and shared two similar languages, Greek and Latin. Um, and so people that lived around here probably spoke both of them. The closest that you and I could probably get to it is similarly to living in Southern California. You might say like, well, most of us know Spanish or English. We're all kind of mixed together. We're all North Americans. Greco-Romans were all kind of connected. The reason why I want to share this with you is because my research isn't just looking at Romans. It also looks at Greeks. So I look at writings from both of those people in both of those languages. Because my argument is essentially, whether you're Greek or Roman, the way that you use the word had the same meaning. Um, just like today, if I said a car is hot, or I said a car is caliente, and a Spanish and an English person would both understand there's, they would say a car is caliente if it's stolen as well, right? We're, we're, our culture is the same. So Greeks and Romans shared a culture. Within this, uh, we come to our word faith in two languages. And you're going to hear this a lot. Don't worry. <laughs> you're going to hear it over and over and over again. In Greek, uh, it's the word pistis. Um, and in Latin, fides. Fides is probably the more familiar one because English is a, ultimately a shoot-off of Latin, so our word faith is closer to fides, but we still use fides for fidelity, um, infidelity, and uh, we don't use the Greek pistis really at all, but I'll do more of pistis because the New Testament was written in Greek, and even when I reference the Old Testament, I'm going to reference the Greek Old Testament. So you're going to hear the word pistis a lot. Um, one more point before I jump in. And again, this is difficult for, if you're an only an English speaker, this can be hard. If you have any, any background in uh, Latin-based languages, it's a little easier. In English, we don't really parse verbs. What I mean by that is if I want to say uh, I run, I can say I run, ran. That's kind of it, running. But I have to add other words like I will run, I'm going to run, I went on a run. We don't, but in other languages, especially like Spanish, if you're familiar with it, you can take the word run and say 10 different things just by adjusting the word. And I forgot what the word run is in Spanish. Uh, but like uh, maybe to be, a star, estoy, estas, esta, estan, estamos. And that's just the I am, you are, we are, they are. Greek and Latin work that way. And I say that because when I'm quoting passages or other writers, I'll show you where these words are in their language, but it won't always be pistis or fides. It might be pistas, pistin, pistuo, Epistu, apiste, but you'll always hear the pist, and I'll point that out. When you hear that P-I-S-T or the F-I-D, fide, um, it's faith language. It's the same word just being like multi plural or past tense, future tense. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Um, so let's see. All right. So let's just, let's, let's go at it. Uh, what did pistis, fides, what did this word faith language mean in the world that Jesus grew up in, and the world that the New Testament, and even the Old Testament was written in. I want to start with what I think is already the most common belief, literally, belief. Belief that someone, someone is reliable or telling the truth. Now, there's two things I want to say about this, um, and, and then we're going to, you're going to hear this a lot, but I'm going to come back to it. In the Greco-Roman world, whether you're talking about Greek or Latin, pistis and fides could mean something close to what you and I think of belief. 
something that's happening about accepting something is true. But, and notice what I wrote here. It is not belief that something is true. It's belief that someone is true. And that's an important distinction. Because pistis fides, faith language, was always about relationships. It was about other people. Both Greek and Latin had plenty of other words that they could use to talk about things that you think are true in your head. Um, our word cognition comes from a cognito, like, like that to think or to accept something is true. Conocer, where in Spanish, like they had words that said, I think something or I believe something. This word meant, I believe you. Like you are someone I accept as true. And I, I kind of would say it this way, if you're trying to think of, and this is a little whatever here. Um, I have a lot of these things. Faith doesn't happen between two ears, but between two people. It's not up here, it's right here. So if I say I have belief in you, I'm saying I think you're a reliable person who's telling me the truth. Like I accept your testimony. I, you're a person that I think would be honest with me. So in the New Testament, when it says believe in this or believe in that, it's not just like accept an idea, it's listen to me, I'm telling you the truth, I'm reliable. Jesus is reliable, I'm reliable, Whatever, whoever's saying it. Um, so there is this sense of belief. They wouldn't say, I have faith that two plus two is four. They would say, I have faith that my math teacher knows what she's talking about. You see the difference? It's relational. It's about people. And that's the most important thing to get us started about faith. Faith is not about ideas. It's about people. It was a relational word they used to talk about how two people connected with each other, not just what you think is true in your head. Um, ultimately, uh, I would also say that I looked at a lot of stuff, <laughs> read a lot of books. If you were to make a list and just like all the uses of, of faith language and you were to make a pie chart, the, pie, the slice of pie that talks about believing things is very small. It is a minor use of faith in the ancient world. The most dominant meaning of faith in, in the Greco-Roman world, the most commonly used one, is more of what we would say is the word trust. Trusting another person. I believe this person, I accept them as true, there's someone that I can rely on. Uh, the scholar Bruce Molina has a good, I like his quote here, he says, um, sorry, he says, it's a social glue that binds people together. I trust you, you trust me, you're not going to cheat me, you're telling me the truth, I won't cheat you, like we, we can rely on each other, which was a big deal in the ancient world. Faith was a huge word because they didn't have court systems like we do. They didn't have, like, you couldn't just sue somebody if they cheated you, right? Like, how do you know someone's going to keep their word? I can't just record it, or you know, most people couldn't read. You're not writing contracts. Faith, to be able to trust people, was the dominant part of their society. But it actually goes deeper, because there's a third meaning to faith. It's related, but it's a little more nuanced. Trust, in general, is like, yes, they're reliable, but faith also took on a meaning that's something a lot closer to what I would call loyalty. Not just trust you, but we are sort of in this together. We've like connected with each other. And I'll explain this in a bit. Um, this was especially true in certain kinds of relationships. If faith language was used at the bank, which it was, we still call banks trusts and fidelities, faith. Um, it meant I trust you. But if faith language was used among friends, like, oh, this is my faith friend. It was like loyalty. Um, we would all, we're also gonna see it was used among, uh, if you serve a king, Faith was loyalty. If you were a servant, uh, if you were in marriage, uh, if you were in a household, there's lots of ways where faith would take on this meaning. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, and this is, you're going to see we're going to do this a lot. I'm going to quote 
people that you've never heard of probably, it's okay. Uh, I didn't hear from either before I started researching, so don't feel dumb. Uh, let me quote this guy here. <clears throat> so, General Cornelius, uh, there was an, there's an uprising in the, Roman, in the Romans, and some of the Roman soldiers started a rebellion against their leaders. And the emperor called Corvinius and said, I want you to go suppress them, squash them, kill them all. His response to the emperor was, don't send me, because a bunch of my soldiers are related to them. And he says this, I can't trust their pistis. Well, notice he's not saying faith or is belief. He's not saying I, I don't think they believe or they exist. He's saying, if you send my soldiers to fight their family, they're going to be more loyal to the family than to me. They're not going to go kill their siblings. Because in a family relationship, pistis meant complete commitment and loyalty to my blood, my kin, my clan. When you put faith in, in family language, it was like, nope, I'm loyal to him or her more than you because they're family. Family was huge and faith was common language among them. Faith was also common among uh, marriage, and we still use it today. We still use the, the Latin fidel, fide, to speak of a marriage that is actually fidelity. We're still, we're still, you know, we're not cheating on each other, or in or off fidelity. We are cheating on each We're not keeping our vows. Um, there's a great story where, um, who is it? Um, Valerius Maximus, he talks about a good woman, right? And they talk about good women a lot. In good Friday, in good faith, she's given to her husband and not knowing any other. So he's saying, right here, he's applying the word faith to say, basically, she's not cheating on him. And you're probably familiar with someone, uh, Cleopatra was a famous person in the ancient world, and her, she got in a relationship with a guy named Mark Anthony and tried to convince him to rebel against Rome. Later, the, author, the historian Josephus wrote about how all his friends was like, dude, what are you doing? Stop it. Like, she's so going to cheat on you. And he actually, he says this, she will certainly not be pissed off to him. So when you add the OS at the end of, it means uh, like how she's giving it back to you. Like she's not going to stay faithful to you. Like, bro, she's going to cheat on you. And she did. She was horrible. Um, that's, she had a long, long tradition of that. So pistis in a marriage relationship meant fidelity. It meant not cheating. It meant I, I, have a, I took a vow and you can count on me to stand with you on this. Um, it was also used in oaths. Um, where are we at? Did I skip one here? Sorry. Uh, how about... What just happened? Nope. Come on. Oh, I guess it is the next one. I missed one. Um, or didn't I? Oh, friendships. Yeah, yeah, friendships. Um, when it was used in friendships, it was talked about as the sense that I can actually rely on you. And I didn't put it on here, but uh, the author, uh, I think it was um, Ben Sierra, we'll talk about him later, he said that to have pistis with a friend is the most important thing because if, you sh if, he, if he confides in you and you go and tell what he said, you might as well call him an enemy. And uh, essentially what he was saying is like, this, like we're in this friendship together and if I, can't, if I can't count on you to not go and tell people what I said, to hold my trust, like we're, we're, we're just, just spit on me, we're done essentially. So having faith in a friend was this sense that this person, I can count on them, they're in it with me, they're not gonna turn their back on me. Um, it is the thing, Cicero said, the most important thing I look for in a friend is faith, that they're gonna be loyal to me, right? Again, look how odd in your head it would be to translate this word as belief. <laughs> belief is the basis of what I look for in a friend? Like, you do exist. Like, no, it's relationship. It's like this person is not going to be a jerk to me. I can count on them. I can, I can let them watch my kids or something, right? right? I, I, they're loyal to me. Um, faith was also used when people made O's. I mentioned that. Uh, a contract was often sworn through the word faith. Um, so much so that the Romans created a god 
called Fides. Fides was the goddess of trust and faith among people. And so when you wanted to swear a contract, like, I agree to pay you five goats in exchange for your daughter. Swear it on Pistis. I swear it on Pistis. And they'd shake. Uh, Pistis was this sense that I'm not lying to you. I'm going to come through. We're in this together. Make sense? Um, now, I want you to know, too, that uh, it's a little... It's a little, I don't want to get into this a lot, but faith language wasn't commonly used about religion in the ancient world. That, was, that wasn't normal. Um, there's a few examples I found where people would refer to having a faith, having faith in the gods. When they did, it had nothing to do with belief. The ancient people never talked about believing in the gods. It wasn't, like, atheism wasn't a thing the way we think of it. Um, having faith in the gods for them was accepting that you don't quite know what they're going to do, but do whatever they tell you, and it'll probably work out good. That was the general idea. If I have faith in the gods, I'm sort of just trusting that they're going to, as long as I do what they want, they'll take care of me. That was kind of the general idea. So from this small sample size, we can see that the world the biblical authors lived in, and this was a small sample size. Like, if you want more, I can give my paper. I have probably, I, I gave you five, and I probably have 50 in my paper. Um, these words, pistis, fides, depending on your language, carried this sense of trust, of loyalty, of faithful behavior towards another person, much more than just believing things. When it did mean believing, it meant believing in the person. Like, they're going to tell me the truth. I, yeah, I'm, I can trust you. And in certain situations, it, it would come to this point of almost like, we are completely in this together, you and I. It's a relational word. Does that make sense? You guys, you guys okay? All right, good. Uh, let me talk about the Bible a little bit. Go figure. Um, let's start with the Old Testament. How did the Old Testament use the word faith? Was it similar or different? Um, a couple things, that, just a real quick, uh, I want to talk about faith in the Old Testament. Number one, I said this already, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew a long time ago, before my study, before the Greco-Roman period. So I'm not looking at Hebrew. What I am looking at is when the Old Testament was translated into Greek in the third or fourth century right in there, it's called the Septuagint. You ever hear that word? Uh, so when I look at the Old Testament text for faith, for pistis, I'm actually looking at how the Greeks translated the Hebrew into their own language, which is still important because it tells us how they would have used it. And when Paul and the other New Testament writers were writing, they all read the Septuagint. They had the Greek copy. So how the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, used it is helpful for us. Uh, okay, so let's talk about a little bit. The first thing is this, understanding something about Judaism. Over the next couple hours, you're going to hear a lot about Judaism. So I'm not going super deep now. You're, we're, we're going to talk a lot about Judaism because that's the foundation of Christianity. Um, one thing you have to understand is just like almost every religion in the ancient world, I don't want to say almost, literally every ancient religion, every ancient religion other than Christianity in its later times, no religions ever talked about stuff you believe. Which might sound crazy, like, well, wait, religion's all what you believe. No, 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 that's just Christians. That's just Christians. And honestly, it's just Christians in the last thousand years. It wasn't Christians originally. Religion had nothing to do with what you believe. It had to do with how you behave. So the Jewish people, right beliefs about God were never as important as the right behavior towards God. Everything in the Old Testament, there's nowhere in the Old Testament where it's like, you need to accept this idea as true. <laughs> there's often like, Trust me, follow me, obey me. That's everywhere. So um, we are going to, let's look at this. And I'd also want to say that in the Old Testament, the word faith, this is kind of confusing, and I, I, don't, I wish I had time, but I don't have time for it. There's no exact translation of our word faith. 
Uh, there's two Hebrew words in that, and trust me, you're not going to remember this, okay. Aman is actually where we get the word amen, uh, means to confirm or be faithful, like to stay, to stick with marriage, faithful. And amuna also means faithful or true. These two words are used throughout the Old Testament. And the reason why I give them is because almost completely, almost across the board, whenever these two words show up, the Greeks translate these words as pistis. So when you're reading your Old Testament today, they don't use the Greek, they use aman or amuna. Um, so sometimes they, tr- they are English, but basically pistis is always the word there. So real quickly, let's talk about what this means. Um, in Deuteronomy 7.9, <clears throat> we see this interesting said. More often than not, the most common way that faith language is used in the Old Testament is to speak of God. Faith speaks of God more than anything else in the Old Testament, and it's usually pistos. Pistos is the same word about Cleopatra. She's not going to be faithful to you. He is the pistos God. He is the God who always does what he says. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't turn his back on you. He doesn't lie to you. He always stands faithful and loyal. Pistos is most commonly translated as faithful. He acts in faith all the time, keeping his covenant with those who love him and keep his covenant. So notice, even here in Deuteronomy, it's circular, isn't it? Um, he's not just, it's not just saying, oh, he's faithful. He's saying he's faithful with those who also give something back to him. Um, throughout the Old Testament, he's described this way. But then there's this expe- expectation for us to return. And the first time we see this is when in uh, the book of Genesis, he calls a man named Abraham. And Abraham is the model of faith. <clears throat> if you've ever heard that, like Abraham, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, Abraham is like the picture of faith. Why? This famous passage is quoted in the New Testament. It says, Abraham, and here's this big word, uh, there's the pist, epistuison, means gave, offered faith, and walked, acted faithfully. I think it's a tragedy this word is translated as believed. It's a horrible translation. And I, I, I would argue with anyone who translates, Abraham had faith in the Lord, not believe. He didn't just believe God existed. Everybody believed God existed. He heard God speak and God said, Abraham, I want you to trust me and go do this. And Abraham said, okay, I'll go do that. He was loyal back to, he returned God's faith. And therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. And we're going to come back to this verse because it's a big deal in the New Testament. So when someone acted faithfully towards God, they were epistusin. They were pistin, pistos towards God. Uh, and when they weren't, this is familiar to us. We hear the word atheism. Whenever you apply the word a in front of a word, it meant not or anti. So atheist, non-theist. Well, pistis means I am faithful. Uh, Apistos means I am not faithful. I am not showing faith. And look, in Psalm, they are a stubborn, rebellious generation. Their hearts are not loyal to God. They are apistos. Look at this direct connection here. Apistos. Not having faith is not being loyal to God. It's being stubborn and rebellious. Instead of loyal and committed, I'm pushing God away. I I am unfaithful. I am apistos. And Israel was bespoken by the prophet Isaiah using marriage terms. <clears throat> See how the once faithful, the once pissed off city has now become a prostitute. She's cheated on God. You joined this marriage, this covenant relationship, and you broke your vows. You were a pissed off. Um, and so this idea of, of and Hosea, there's a whole book of Hosea about <laughs> his wife is throughout Hosea, pissed a pissed off, a pissed off. He speaks of his wife who keeps cheating on him. Um, it's relational loyalty and fidelity, right? Um, 
And so it wasn't just also, and there's a lot more examples. I had to cut a ton out. But there's other examples of like the way that um, in the Septuagint, there are books that we don't currently use, we don't call authoritative, which is okay. I'm not saying they're authoritative, but they still tell us. Uh, they're, uh, one of them is called The Wisdom of Solomon. Um, the Wisdom of Solomon, which is written about 100 years before Jesus. Look what he says here. Blessed are those whose hands, hands have done no lawless deeds. They will be rewarded for their faith, pisteos. Just look at the connection here. He's saying to be pisteos, to have faith, to show faith in God, is to have done no lawless deeds. It's not to believe in God. It's to have actually obeyed God. And this was about 100 years before Jesus, so the Greeks were already using it there. Um, and then we see another common, uh, this, he then flips it, the same author. Evidence of their wickedness still remains. They are a pillar of salt from Genesis, a monument to their apistoi. Their wickedness is apistoi. My lack of faith, my not showing faith back to God is wicked. I've, been, I've, I've broken his commandments. I haven't done what he told me to do. I have not given him faith. The Jewish sage Ben Sirah talked about obeying the law, and he said this, um, if you will, if you desire, you can keep the commandments and be pistos to God. Just look at that statement. So he actually was fairly contemporary. Like he probably lived like 50 or 60 years before Paul. To be pistos to God is to keep the commandments. To have faith, you can have faith if you want to, just obey God. It's a matter of your own choosing. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Um, and then one of my favorite stories in the book of Fourth Maccabees, uh, there are, there, we don't know if this is true, but it's still a great story. There were seven Jewish brothers who were brought before an evil king, Antiochus, and he basically says to these seven brothers, they're Jews, he says, I want to, you guys seem like smart guys, I like you, I tell you what, I want you to come and work for me in my Greek palace, and I'm going to give you money and power and wealth. I just want you to stop this whole Jewish nonsense. Stop this, stop this craziness. If you do it, I'll reward you. If you don't, if you disobey me and don't reject your religion, there will be nothing in store but death and torments, right? <laughs> I'm going to torture all of you. And so he brings the first brother forward. He says, will you repent and get rid of this nonsense and serve me? And the brother says, nope, I won't do it. And he quotes this statement I love. He says, um, I will follow the example of those who have remained pissed off to God. I won't recant my faith. I won't turn my back on God. And so Antiochus has him uh, dismembered and tortured in front of the six other brothers, right in front of them, and the mother. They're all sitting there watching. And he's like, all right, bring the next one. And the next brother comes up. He's like, will you finally recant? Nope, I will remain pissed off to God, whatever you do to me. And he tortures him in front of the other five. He tortures all seven brothers in front of the mother. She watches all of her sons die. And he says, woman, was this worth it? And she's like, we are pissed off to God. Do whatever you want there with him in heaven. And so this idea of being faithful, being pissed off to God, of having faith in God, was saying, kill me, I don't care. I am not turning my back on him. And we'll see that in the New Testament as well. It'll continue. Um, there's so many examples I can give you. I, I, I'd love to just keep going through them, but I just wanted to offer this sort of brief look into how faith was often applied and understood. It's, this, it's like, it's this fidelity. It's this, I am not turning my back. Like, I am with you, I, I'm here, we're, we're in this together. Um, and so, it was a big deal for the Jewish people. When they used the word faith, they were saying, he is God, we are loyal to him, kill us if you will, we're not going to be disloyal, we're going to obey his commands. Faith, we're, you can trust us, God, we're your people. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it makes sense, too, that when we get into the New Testament, the word faith explodes. The word faith is all over the New Testament. 
I think the reason why is that Jesus loved to use it. Jesus loved using the word faith. He used it, all, he used it more than the Old Testament himself. Um, we see it take center stage. And so, um, again, I, I, we're just we're speeding through this. I apologize. Go back and read the Gospels and see the word pisses everywhere. Um, in the beginning, so faith is this recurring theme. Jesus calls people to have faith in him, uh, to accept his message and follow him, to obey him. He praises people when they act in a way that they like, yep, you're, I like who you are, I'm following. Great, good faith. Um, he, he speaks against people who he says, oliga pistoi, little faith. You don't have much. You're, you're, not doing, you're not very loyal here. Like, come on, let's go. Um, he's like the suggestion that they lack trust in him. Again and again, he praises people for faith. But here's the thing, and I, I'd love to prove this to you, but I don't have time. Go prove it to yourself. Every time Jesus praises somebody for having pistis, for having faith, it's because they did something. They practice it. It's an activity. It's an action. It's something that was expressed. And one of the moments he's, he's speaking against the Pharisees, and he makes this great statement. He says, you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and piston. Justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus said faith is the, one of the most important aspects of obeying God. He wasn't saying you've neglected to believe. They believed more than anybody. <laughs> Nobody believed more than the people that he was saying to, or the Pharisees. He was saying you actually have been ignoring ultimate loyalty to God, which would have been just an absolute slap in the face. For a Pharisee to be set, told they were ignoring piston to God, it would have been like, let's go, let's go. We are the most loyal. to No one is more loyal to God than us. And Jesus is like, actually, I could break this down. He's like, you think you're giving piston to God because you're tithing perfectly and you're not eating anything wrong, but you're not being loyal to God because you're ignoring the poor and the widows, which God cares more about than your small rules. He was redefining what it meant to be piston, to be faithful to God. But all of it is action. It's behavior. It's activity. Um, and we see uh, Jesus prays for Peter later. In the, he says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your pistis may not fail you. Think about that statement, that your faith may not fail. What did he mean? He knew that Peter was going to do what in a few days? He was going to betray you. I'm going to pray that you don't betray me. And Peter's response clearly understood. What are you talking about? I'll go to, I'll, I would go to hell for you, Jesus. I'll go to prison. They can kill me. I won't lack piston in you. This has nothing to do with belief, guys. This is commitment. This is, we're in this, I am not turning my back on you. And Jesus is like, yeah, actually you're going to. But I'm praying that after you do, back, that you won't stay away forever, that your piston, your piston won't always fail. Um, it's a big deal, right? And then throughout the New Testament, I'm going to speed through this because I just, get your Bible out and do it yourself. Um, uh, <laughs> Pistis is all over the New Testament. And sometimes it's used as belief. It is sometimes. But you got to look at context when you're trying to figure out what's being said. There are some times that it's like, you know, believe this thing. And I'm going to get into one of them in a minute here. Um, but I, I love this statement. Paul says that pistis is a fruit of the Spirit. You think the Spirit helps you believe things? Is that what the Spirit cares about? As opposed to joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faith? Like there is this, like for Paul, the Spirit is give, helping you be more loyal to God, helping you commit to him more, helping you be more like steadfast, right? It's not an issue of just believing things in your head. Um, and of course, the most famous one would be, uh, well, Revelation picks up the story of, uh, of the whole Maccabees. And Revelation says, I know your deeds, your love, and your piston, 
your service and perseverance. Just look at the context of this. Deeds, love, service, perseverance, faith, right in the middle. Faith is not a mental thing. It's an active thing. He's saying, I see the way that you're loyal to me. And Revelations will go on, I see that you're even willing to die for me. And one of the most famous ones is the book of James. James says, faith, pistis by itself, if not accompanied by action, by works, is dead. Your faith is meaningless if it's not doing. If it's like just to say, he says, if you say with your mouth that you believe you have faith, but then you don't do anything, what is this? It's not, that's, that is no faith at all. Because pistis is expressed, it's action, it's this relationship I have with God where he speaks and I obey and we're back and forth. Again, uh, there's also this idea in the book of Hebrews. Uh, do I want to get that now? I'll skip that for now. I'll come back to it. Uh, but in the book of Hebrews, we do see the, the whole chapter 11, the models of faith, the, the, the hall of faith, as some people call it, where we have all these people who are commended for acting loyally to God, even when it didn't make sense. And like I said, the, the idea of the brothers, we see this, uh, this idea that faith is standing in, in persecution. Uh, not that one. How about this one? Revelation says, be pissed off even to the point of death. Right? That's in the New Testament. Just like those seven brothers and their mother, so you stand, even if Nero's going to cut your head off, be pistos. The New Testament church was constantly persecuted. So for them to use this word pistos, it meant they might knock on your door tomorrow and demand that you surrender all of your texts and recant your faith in Jesus. Uh, Pliny the Younger wrote a letter to his superior. He was a Roman leader. He's like, so when I catch a Christian, I bring him in, I give them an opportunity to reject this whole Jesus Messiah thing. If they renounce that faith, that loyalty to him, I let them go. If not, I have to punish them. This was a common thing. Being pissed off meant I will not turn my back on God, even to death. Um, and Revelation praises them for not renouncing their pistis. And there's so much more to say about faith language in the New Testament. We're not done yet. I just want to give us a quick overview, because over the next couple hours, I'll be diving in more specific areas. Um, if I had time, I, I would love to man, do more, but again, sorry. Uh, all right, so that's kind of a quick overview, but like I said, there are still places where faith language carries this sense of belief. So what do we do with that? Let me, let me briefly touch on that. There's no single answer. There's a couple answers, and I want to explain them both. First and probably most importantly, uh, I want to say again, I said it before, this is okay in Greek and Latin. There are times that it means something like belief. When the book of John says, I am doing this so that you would pistue in him, he is saying kind of like, I'm doing this so that you would accept him and believe in him and trust in him. There's a belief picture there. Um, so I'm not making the argument in this, this class this morning that faith never means belief. Sometimes it does. However, I also want to understand this basic point is this. Just because sometimes faith can mean belief in the Bible should not lead you to think that belief is what God is actually looking for. Because when the Bible speaks about God asking for your faith or for you to be faithful, it never means belief. For John to say, I'm doing this so that you would pistuo in Jesus, believe in him, it is so that you will follow him, right? I need you to believe so something else. What God is looking for is not just belief. In a famous passage, I want to break this down. i got a couple minutes. I'm going to go really quick. Uh, I can do this. I can do this. Uh, I get this all the time. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 says this. Without pisteos, without being faithful, without having faith, it's impossible to believe God, to please him, because anyone who comes to him must pistusai, he exists. All right. What the frick? Uh, a good, 
A good English translation is without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists. Pistusai means believe. It means to accept an idea is true. So clearly, he's saying you have to believe in a God and that's what faith is. Hold on. This word is the key to this passage. Exists. You and I hear the word exist and we think, oh, we believe that God is real. No, 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 no. That's, that's you living in 2021. Them living 2,000 years ago, this means I am. Is that familiar with you? Moses said, God, okay, who, are, who do you want me to say sent me? If I'm supposed to go to Pharaoh and tell him, who, who, what's your name, God? And God says, tell him, exists, sent you. What Hebrews is saying is, having faith in God is accepting that he is I am. That he is the only one true God worthy of service. It's not to believe that a a deity exists somewhere in reality. It's to say, no, no, no. He is the one that says, love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no other gods before me. Monotheism, this idea of Judaism that says he is the one true God that we will serve. That is what you need to believe in order to have faith in him. I am loyal to one God and one God only. I won't bow down to Zeus. I won't worship Aphrodite. I will only worship Yahweh. I am. Yahweh means exist. That's his name. So Hebrews isn't saying believe a God exists. It's saying accept the one true God that calls for your loyalty and demands it. Um, Does that make sense? Sorry, I'm jumping through this quick. Uh, Okay, where am I at here? And I think, and what's cool is this fits the entire, like if you look at Hebrews 11, it's all these people who obeyed God. And you're like, wait a minute, why does he then say this? Because all of the people in Hebrews 11, Abraham and all of the people that followed him, said, you are the one true God, I will follow you. And they, because they followed, even when it didn't make sense, they showed faith by obeying and doing and being loyal to God, they were rewarded. They were shown that they believed he is I am, he is Yahweh. So faith can speak about belief, but it's always relational. And more often than not, it's this idea of I am with you, I'm in you. So I'm going to end with this. I got eight minutes. I'm good. I'm good. I can do this. Why has belief become the dominant meaning? I can't do it. No, I can. I can. All right, here we go. Here we go. First of all, I'm going to give you some reasons why faith has become the majority meaning. And I can't give you one because I think there's three and they all kind of matter. Um, First, uh, let's start with, yes, let's talk about the English word belief. All right, you ready? What does the English word belief mean? Well, the English word belief comes from a compound of be, which means to hold, regard, or give, and leaf, which means love. Be, leaf, means to give love or to hold dear, to cherish someone. That is the original meaning in Old English of our word belief to regard someone as lovely, uh, to the word beholden, which is a, the English word still exists, beholden is a, is a version of beliefen or believen. In German, uh, believen is still a word they use in marriages. What we have done is we have taken believen, beligen, and we have made it beloved. You're my beloved. That's our wedding song. Uh, beloved is a, is a version of believen, belief. Isn't that weird? Would you have ever thought that? When I first read that, I was like, what the frick? Um, yes. So here's the thing. 
This belief, belief is English language that came out of Latin, the word fides. It wasn't that fides meant belief, it was that belief always meant fides. The word belief originally in Old English was how they translated fides. <laughs> in some point, and scholars have lost this, English, which used belief to translate the word faith, fides, created a new word. And we think they did it because of the French, fate. Um, it clearly comes from Fides. The word faith was created after the word belief. So belief already existed. Um, there's a 12th century homily, so the 1100s, uh, where the, the Christian author says this, set not your belief on worldly goods. He's not saying don't believe in worldly goods. He's saying don't be loyal. Don't give your heart to worldly goods. Um, so is the 12th century, when Old English was like, you couldn't even understand it, belief meant faith. The earliest Wycliffe's translation of the Bible used belief every time they wanted to translate the word fides from the Latin or pistis from the Greek. But at some point, uh, the word faith was created and faith became more common. Faith sort of, so the, the King James Bible uh, was the 16th century, translated faith almost completely across the board for the word pistis rather than belief. But, and I know this is going to make your head hurt, but hang with me for a second. There's something really difficult about that because in English, the word belief can be a noun or a verb. I can have belief and I can believe. The word faith can't. I can have faith, but I can't faith. I have to add things to it. I can be faithful, I can show faith or give faith, but I can't, I can't faith. But in Greek, in Latin, you can. You can pistos and pistuin. Have faith and be faithful. So the King James Bible made a decision to translate the word faith, pistis, using the English word faith, but to translate the verb show faith as believe. So because there's no verb form for faith, the old English Bibles kept the word believe, and so they used faith and believe all the time because those were the only verbs they had. So occasionally it does mean believe, but a lot of times that's just the only word they had. And five or 600 years later, we are still translating it for one primary reason, because you are so used to hearing it, you would rebel and never buy a Bible that actually translated the right way now. Uh, I need to delete that from the video. That was horrible. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. So this idea of the faith is a problem. Um, but again, it was always an action. It was a do faith. It was a show faith. So they do come. So the English word faithful to fulfill faith or show faith to give faith. We sometimes use that. We try to. Newer translations are trying to do a better job of it. Um, but that was a big deal. The second thing that came up was I made the comment about how in the ancient world religion was always about what you do, not what you think. Right. Well, guess what? We changed that. There's no other world religion, not a single one outside of Christianity that is so consumed with what we think is true. Where'd that come from? It came from the Middle Ages, people like Thomas Aquinas, what we call scholasticism. Uh, the Western church in the, in the 900s to the 1200s made this huge premium on the word proposition or truth. They created a word dogma, dogma. This, this is the truth. You've got to accept this. They even took a common word, credere, Kriter means to set your heart upon, to give your heart to. In Sanskrit, it's the, it's the word for faith in both uh, Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism. But the, the English uh, Westerners took Kriter and made it creed, I believe. Here's the list of my beliefs. 
Creed never meant I think something is true. It meant I give my heart to it. And when in the first century, when they were baptized, they said, I crede, credo, this thing. It's saying I'm going to give my life to it. But in the Middle Ages, everything became about learning, scholasticism, knowledge. Thomas Aquinas was one of the first ones to say, um, faith is believing what is true. And he really had a big deal on us. I wish I could go. I can't do more. Last one, the Protestant Reformation. And if you know a little bit about church history, you're familiar. If you're not, it's okay. It's not the right class. In the 1500s, a guy named Martin Luther was a monk living in Germany who was very upset with the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church had become very corrupt and had started basically selling salvation. Like, here's all the things you have to do in order to be in salvation. And Martin Luther said, no, that can't be it. Like, like knowing and loving God and being, part, being saved cannot be because I give money to the church or say these right things. No, no, faith is by grace apart from works. And he started Protestantism. And I think everyone in this room is a Protestant today. I'm a Protestant. It, it broke the whole thing in the last 500 years. Protestantism, those who follow, who've left Catholicism or are no longer Catholics, have this basic idea that salvation comes through faith alone. Sola only fides, faith alone. Is a, like sola fides is like the, the mantra of Protestantism, which I believe in. I'm on board with that, and we're going to come back to it in the third hour. But there was a pushback, and the drawback was it was so much like, no, it's not through your effort. It's not through doing all these little things in the church, which was true. It created, though, this idea that faith is somehow other than or opposite than actually obeying God. Martin Luther never said faith was not obeying God. What he was really saying was, faith is not tithing to the church or doing you know, their little things or paying money to get out of hell. He was coming against a lot of the Roman Catholic issues. If you actually look at, uh, Martin Luther defined faith as the wedding ring that you give when you get married. Luther understood faith as relational loyalty. He just hated what the Catholic Church was doing. But over 500 years, we've kind of taken his ideas and really said, no, no, faith is just... I just believe Jesus died, that's it. And we are going to come back to that, don't worry. So all that being said, I know that was a lot. Um, I think the reason why belief is the common idea now is a mixture of things. It's, it, there's not one reason. Um, it could be, uh, it, it can be belief, but more often than not, if you look at it, there's reasons why it's become so weird today. I would say that the best way to land is to say this. Yes, sometimes, even in the Bible, faith language can mean believe something. But it is the minority use. The primary, most common way is to say that faith is giving loyalty to God. It is, it is staying true to him and, and being committed to him. And I think that this, and this is my opinion, I think that our confusion over that issue has had drastic consequences. I meet Christians all the time whose idea of faith is, I said a prayer when I was eight years old and I'm good as opposed to, he is my husband, he is my father, he is, I'm connected with him every day of my life in faith and loyalty. So we're going to take a break, and let me just say quickly where we're coming back. If faith is not a mental thing, but a relational thing, I came to the conclusion that what was important for me to understand it was to actually say, okay, it's relational, what kind of relationship Am I in with God? And what I quickly realized was when I read the Bible, there were some human relationships that are often used to describe my relationship to God. Uh, we're described as being subjects of a king, 
servants to a lord or a master, stewards of a garden, spouses, children, soldiers. And I found something out, and this, this guided my research, all of those relationships in the first century world used the word faith. So what I'm going to do when we come back is I'm going to look at a few of those relationships. I'm going to dive into them and show how in the New Testament, they're dominant pictures of how you and I relate to God. And if you were living in the first century, you understood it because I, they would use faith in their own human ways. So let's take about, I think we have eight minutes. Let's come back at 10.10 and uh, we'll jump back in and look at what it means to be subjects of a great king.